Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. Happy New Year and welcome to 1874, the podcast that will bring you the definitive word on the mighty Aston Villa Football Club every single week. As usual, I'm pleased to be joined by Greg Evans. All over the place this week, aren't you, Greg? Putting in some serious miles. <laughs> yeah, it's been a very busy week. Lots of features coming up, so keep looking on the app and uh, hopefully you'll be pleased with some of them. Yeah, good in general? Yeah, all good. Yeah, Happy New Year to you, Dan, and, and everybody who's listening. Um, quite a decent start for Villa, hasn't it? So it's uh, been very busy for me over the festive period, but all good, thanks. Yeah, I think you can safely say I've definitely preferred the start of 2020 to the end of 2019, Villa-wise. So there is plenty going on in, in B6 this week, not only games-wise, but we think transfer-wise as well. On this week's episode, we'll cover last night's 1-1 draw in the Carabao Cup in the semi-finals. Good, but ultimately a little bit frustrating as well. A look at new loan signing Danny Drinkwater. Transfers in general, I'll be interrogating Greg as per usual. And as always, we also have the Villa Vault. Now I think, Greg, if we'd have been offered 1-1 before the game last night, we'd have definitely taken it, wouldn't we? You were there. How did you see it? Yeah, I think so. I still, I still think now, looking looking back on it, you know, twenty four hours later, that it's a, it's a very good result. One one at Leicester. Leicester is still second in the league, of course. Haven't dropped many points in the league at um, at King Power Stadium. So for Villa to go there, open the scoring, and still come away with a point and take it into the second leg, I think it's a really good result and something something that definitely Villa can build on. Um, and I just think it, I'm I'm really excited for that second leg already. I think a full house at Villa Park under the lights um, is not. So something that Leicester will be comfortable with uh, and, and as you were telling me earlier Dan Villa have been exceptional in second legs in recent years haven't they? I mean everyone will, will rem- remember this one we had the uh, the Bradford absolute disaster where we lost 3-1 in the first leg at, at Valley Parade and then managed to win 2-0 in the, no, sorry, 2-1 in, in the second leg and that wasn't enough to, to take us through. We had the Blackburn second leg at Villa Park. It was 1-0 from the first leg. Villa won at Ewood Park and then crazy 6-4 game at Villa Park. One of the strangest games I think I've ever been, been to. And then also there was Bolton in 2004 where Villa got absolutely tonked 5-2. In the, in the first leg, JJ Okocha absolutely <laughs> ran the show and Villa come back to Villa Park and win 2-0. But again, it wasn't enough. So they've been good in those Villa Park second legs. And like you've alluded to a little bit, Villa Park is a special place and under the lights and it'll be it'll definitely be a full house. The, the, the crowd will be bang up for it. And I think we're in a decent place. I think probably Leicester won't be thrilled with the position they're in because I don't think they'd have been expecting that at all. Yeah, I don't think so. Just just going back to Villa Park, you know that those semi-finals that you mentioned, they they always seem to just turn up when they really need to. Of course, the playoff semi-final, the the Middlesbrough game, you know, brings back good memories for uh, from Villa. Of course, the second leg there. Yeah. Um, and uh, so yeah, it'll be it'll be it'll be difficult for Leicester. I think that they. They were actually quite surprised with how Villa set up yesterday and and, and struggled at times to break them down. Um, Chilwell had a bit of joy in the first half, Pereira more so in the second half. Yeah, two um, players. But yeah, I mean, but, but those, those two are usually the two that cause a lot of damage for Leicester and Villa just seemed to nullify that threat. Um, Neil Taylor get, comes in for a bit of criticism, doesn't he, often from, from Villa fans. But yeah. if you look at some of the games that he's played this season, maybe minus the, the Liverpool game against the kids where Harvey Elliott gave him a, a bit of a difficult time um, he, he's kept a lot of players good players as well quiet so yeah. Taylor does do a job defensively and I think this new system that Villa have got with three centre-halves is working well for them um, and uh, of course Brendan Rodgers changed his tactics 
to get uh, to get through Villa in the league game. And I think he might have to do the same to get some more joy this time. Yeah, but the three at the back's an interesting one because obviously Villa have struggled with, with resilience a little bit in, in the first half of the season, giving up leads. Teams have walked through them a little bit too easily at times. But what the three at the back does, it gives Villa a steady platform to, to build on. And even when they're not playing well now, I mean, it's, I know it's only been two games using the system, but in periods of games where they're not playing well, they can dig in and they are more solid. The three at the back, it just suits our personnel. I think I, I remember me and you talking about it away from the podcast one week, saying we've got the centre-backs to, to play that system. And Toro Mings last night was just absolutely fantastic in the middle of it all, wasn't it? Incredible. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable how much of an influence he has on this team now. And when he's not in the team, Villa are just not, not quite the same. Uh, Dean Smith's been saying for, for quite a few weeks, even months, you know, that he's got five decent centre halves. So it's, it's a surprise really that he's taken him so long to play the three at the back. Um, I think Bjorn Engels probably started the season the best out of the five. Probably now he might be fifth choice. I mean, it's, he's he's dropped right down, hasn't he? I, I remember I thought James Chester played better than him in the game at Fulham. I thought he looked yeah, he more did. comfortable on the ball um, and just this sort of calm, assured figure. Um, but it's it's great to see those three English centre halves uh, currently currently in place. Cons are obviously only twenty one still. Uh, Hawes twenty four and then and then Mings twenty six. So they've still all got the best years ahead of them. Um, but Mings in the middle, he really pulls that group together. Uh, you know, it's it's just his leadership qualities as well. Um, never ever. Uh, gives the t- gives his teammates around him a second really for no. he's always organising and guiding them um, and special mention to to Courtney Hawes yesterday as well because I thought he was outstanding. Yeah, he's been he's been really good actually. The Norwich game on Boxing Day they fired a lot at us towards the end of that game and he was the one who really stepped up when when we needed him and I mean he hadn't really played much up, up until the Christmas period had he at all? He'd been really on the periphery. Dan Smith hadn't really shown much faith in him but it just shows you you need a squad and everyone pretty much has been involved now and you'd you'd have never said that Hawes would have would have got in over Engels at the, at the start of the season but three at the back Engels is actually the big loser out of it all isn't he because I think he's the only one of the five that would struggle to play on the outside yeah the back three he only gets back in in that formation now if there's something happens to Mings I think yeah I think you're right actually I think Mings and Haw- uh, Mings and Engels had developed quite a nice relationship early in the season they were they were playing quite well but you know, for one reason or the other, um, the, the the three that they've currently got just suits those players better. Um, I, th- I think you know, that Norwich game for Hawes was was his first ever Premier League win. I think yeah, he was only, been. probably his what second or third Premier League appearance. So you know, he's he's a relative, he's a he's a top flight rookie, so to speak. But he, he he's developed and come on very well, and I think that he could be a big big player for Villa in the future. Was Chester ahead of Engels last night on form? Engels wasn't carrying a, no- a knock or anything because it was Chester who was on the bench last night. He, w- he was ahead of him on merit. So to yeah, speak. I mean, I mean, I think so. I think the games that James Chester's played, he showed that what a, what a quality and um, comfortable player he still yeah. is. You know, we all know we've spoke about this in previous podcasts. Uh, the injury problems that he suffered. Uh, you know, he's coming towards the end of potentially the end of his Villa career because he's he's out of contract in the summer. There is an option there to, for Villa to sign him up for another year, but um, no no inclination at this time whether they will or not. So we'll wait and see. But yeah, it's good to see Chester back in the fold because I think we both agree that you know he's a big part of this club yeah. and somebody who we both know um, you know feels very strongly about the best interests of this club. The man in between the sticks didn't do badly last night either, <laughs> did he? Uh, Erjen Nealand 
No, I, I mean, I didn't think I'd be hearing the Villa fans singing Norway's number one at any point this season, but but it, but it was there. Incredible, really. I mean, you know, the, the, the Villa fans were singing about Jack Grealish earlier in the first half, and then the only other individual player that they singled out was um, was Orion Island. So yeah. shows how much he's come on. I, I wrote a piece in the Athletic today about it, just saying that. Um, how much Neil Cutler has worked with him. He's um, a good coach, Neil Cutler. Very, very highly rated at, at the club. Yeah, Dean Smith loves him. The, the players that have worked with him love him. Um, every goalkeeper that I've spoken to that's worked with him loves him. So, Villa have got a good goalkeeping coach in their hands there. And clearly, he's improved uh, Oyen Nyland. And, you know, he might just save Villa a bit of money there, mightn't he, if he can continue in that form. Yeah, I mean, we'll come on to transfers later. But I think every time we've seen Nyland this season... I don't think he's put a foot wrong. I mean, even his claim in the last minute against Burnley from the corner, for someone who I don't think had really touched the ball at that point, that's some claim when you're under pressure against a big physical side. And you can see that Cutler's work with him is a completely different proposition to the goalkeeper that we saw when he first joined up. I like his distribution as well. And I actually think, I mean, I know Heaton and Steer are injured, but that's a good, that's a good three goalkeepers. I don't think many teams will have a better number three than that an international goalkeeper no very good and um, Oyen Island did a, did an, um, an excellent interview with um, Matt Mayer at the Express and Star well worth a read you know and he, and yeah. he went into detail about um, you know he's 12 months out and what he's done to improve I thought that was excellent you know he, he just said um, I've, I've had to become more brave and yeah, that was his, that was his downfall. Physicality yeah, a little but he bit. just he wasn't he wasn't strong and brave enough, maybe physically and mentally. But the way he commands his area now, he just shows that he's got that authority now. Um, and took a whack off uh, Johnny Evans, didn't he, last night yeah. by, by coming to collect a, a cross at a really important time in the game, and Villa were heavily under pressure. So. Uh, yeah, he's he's improved massively. Villa have got a very good goalkeeping group at the moment. There's, they they rate Matthias Arkic very highly as well. Yeah, he's done um, well at Livingston. So you know he's he's had a, he's had a good loan period, which is which is decent for him. It's just a shame really that he's been recalled, and that's potentially hindering his development because um, you know he's not going to be playing because Nyland is the the number one, uh, and Villa obviously are in front of the goalkeeper as well. But the goalkeeping department's strong. They hope to move on. Uh, Lovra Kalinic just hasn't really worked for him. Um, and uh, so we'll, we'll know a bit more of, of, of who's involved uh, towards the end of the month. I tell you what, I don't know whether you've any ever spent any time with, with Neil Cutler, but he's an absolute man-mountain. As a goalkeeper, <laughs> you wouldn't want to do anything wrong. You you wouldn't want to upset him, which might be something to do with, with the improvement we, we've seen in Neil. And now, Villa were under the cosh. Not under the cosh, but we're under pressure, let, let's put it that way. And scored a, a little bit against, against the runner play, strung some passes together and got out wide, and it only shot on target in the game. An unlikely goal scorer, Freddie Gilbert, pops up at the back stick with, with a smart finish and a bit of in dreamland at that point. Yeah, I, I thought, wow, you know, what, what a brilliant start. I think that they didn't make too many changes to the to the game against Burnley. The, no. you know, the, the only other than other than injury and force changes, the only other one was um, Gilbert replacing Al Mohamedy, wasn't it? So yeah, yeah. I just think that Gilbert offers that bit more going forward. I'd like, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see him, you know, as the regular right back. I just think he gets he gets forward, but more often than um, than Al Mohamedy, and, and showed that uh, uh, last night when he when he got on the end of that cross and first goal for Villa. He'll be second. Second, I'll yeah, say, he yeah. scored in the he scored against Crew earlier on earlier on. 
Did they? Wow, was yeah. it their game? I can't remember that. Yeah, My memory's getting worse, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, when we spoke earlier, you couldn't remember what you had for breakfast, mate. <laughs> <laughs> is, he, is he close to getting the top goal scorer then in the Carabao Cup? He needs a couple more in the semi-final. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's good to have players who, who are scoring yeah. in the competition, isn't it? And it's good to get goals from, from all, around, all around the pitch. Criticism I'd have of Villa is centre-halves haven't really chipped in enough mm. this season we've not scored that many from from, from indirect free kicks and, yeah. and corners coming in and obviously we've scored some direct ones but yeah not a single headed goal either Villa still oh, really yeah, some, some stat that I mean Jack Grealish almost had one didn't he at I mean, Burnley, yeah but. <laughs> yeah, still upsets me that because it, it was a really really good header <laughs> yeah. against Burnley so at this point I mean I, I, I was, I'm in a WhatsApp group and I at, I think I tweeted saying, oh, you'd have definitely taken nil-nil at 25 minutes and then three minutes later I'm, I'm writing a message saying, I would have definitely taken one-nil <laughs> oh, yeah. at 28 because I went into that game not expecting the worst, but you would expect Leicester to beat us. They're on, they're on absolute fire in the Premier League. They're up in, in the upper echelons. But the game plan was was working and the three at the back have, have all got a little bit of pace about them and Vardy couldn't do what, what, what he wanted to do. Yeah. I thought Madison didn't have his best game last night, although he, he's always showing for the ball and... We frustrated them, but one thing Villa just couldn't do throughout the whole game, and in particular the first half, they couldn't hold on to the ball. Yeah, it's frustrating, isn't it? I think I think Villa towards the end of the second half, they were just they, they're looking a little bit tired as well. Yeah. Concentration levels were just dropping a little bit as well, purely because if you're defending for that long in that you know in that rigid compact shape. Um, you've got to remain f- focused physically and mentally and it's very difficult when you've got players like Vardy pulling you all over the yeah. place and Madison with his manipulative ways and um, you know it, it was tough for them towards the end but they held on and, and and when you've got a player like Jack Grealish in there who can just always take the ball from any dangerous area in the in the field and, and just right, um, drive forward and win fouls it's so important because it takes the pressure off when they need it I just I do feel sorry sometimes for Grealish at times because I just think if you had better players long Side him, he, he he would flourish even more. There's a lot on him, isn't there? Yeah, they, they, they rely so much on him. But I watched him very very closely last night. I thought he would play better than Madison actually. Uh, you know, there's, there's there's always the comparison between the two, isn't it? I yeah. thought Grealish was the better player. Um, so many times he got the ball and just just doesn't get tackled, does he? He gets fouled or he passes the ball to his to his teammate. I mean, it's brilliant. You'd love to be alongside him. He's deceptively strong as well. Like he the is, work yeah. he's done in the gym over over the years. He's a completely different proposition to the the kid. Of, of a few years ago, isn't it, yeah, really? Yeah, and it's just those little weighted passes as well. There was a couple into um, Gilbert in the second half just to set him down, but Villa couldn't quite Villa couldn't quite get at Leicester enough in the second half, probably as much as Dean Smith would have wanted. Um, of course, they're very light up front. There's no recognised centre-forward up there. Um, Anwar El-Ghazi started up there and then Indiana Vasilev came on. Um, you know, still a young player. He shows very willing and energetic and enthusiastic, but... He's a rookie, isn't he? At yeah. the same time, we can't, we can't expect to. He likes to run round. I saw him at Fulham on Saturday. He, he, yeah, he, he got a bit of a run out, and he, he certainly likes to press. Yeah, I mean, but do you know that that's great. You know, I'm, I'm all I'm all for that. I'm all for that enthusiasm because other players that have played in that position this season haven't haven't showed that willingness. Um, and we'll go on to him. You talking about Jonathan Codger by any chance, Greg? <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I, I watched uh, I watched his performance closely at Fulham and. Just thought, although he although he um, assisted the goal and was prob- very unlucky actually not to get the goal. Yeah. In all fairness, um, just thought his performance was so below par. Um, and anybody who'd have watched that would have thought that you know that player you can't really rely on to do the job that you're asking them to. And yeah, it, it was just a, a very half soaked performance. Yeah, I watched it. I was I was obviously there uh, as well. And it 
it almost felt like it was an effort for him to be to be involved. He just doesn't do the things that a lone striker should do, just in terms of closing down. I mean, Vasilev's come on and closed down, which to me is the bare minimum. Yeah, exactly. As, as a lone striker. And what did you make of Codger's admission last night? I know Dean Smith came out and said said he was ill, but is is that it? Do you think, or do you think there's a little bit more in in it? Because I I can't say that we could have played him last night after that performance on Saturday. I just don't think Dean Smith would have picked him anyway. No, well, look, you know, I, I, I wrote about his performance um, uh, on Saturday and I don't like to single out players and, and criticise them unless they, you know, completely deserve it. But I just thought that Codger just didn't, he just didn't do enough for the team. And you would have been, if you were a teammate of his, you'd have been so uh, frustrated with him. You can see it, it's written on some of their faces sometimes when he plays. You can see the players get frustrated with him. You, you would just be so annoyed because he, 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 just, he just felt like he wasn't pulling his weight. And I spoke to Gary Thompson, the old, um, the old Villa striker, and he said to me, he said he'd been playing like a player that wants to leave for the last year. And I yeah. thought that, I thought in some ways that summed it up, you know, quite quite well to be fair. But um yeah, I think if you would have if you were to analyse his performance against Fulham, then it would be very, very difficult to put him in again um three days later. I'm not in, I'm not gonna say that Dean Smith's lying and saying that he's no, ill no. That I'm I'm not I'm you know, I'm not saying that for any minute, but um Dean Smith was at the under twenty three game on Monday. He watched Vasilev score two goals in the first four minutes and, and his initial thought was right. I'm having him on my bench on, on Wednesday. So whether he had preempted that Codger wasn't going to be playing anywhere, um, yeah, because I, 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 don't I know, really think we'd have gone with that front three regardless. I, th- I, th- I think so. Yeah, whether Codger would have been on the bench as well as Vasilev or instead of you know who knows. But um, you know we'll go with what Dean Smith said that he was that he was ill. But um, I, I don't think he'll be featuring him very often for for Villa in the times head now. Yeah, it was a it was a great performance from Villa last night. Some some really good moments, especially defensively, as, as we've talked about, mainly from Mings. But as has been the case so many times this season, now it's just that one moment. Villa, Villa are such a frustrating side because they do so much very very well. They've just got these little bad habits that let them down. And last night we, we've witnessed it again. Just poor decision making and for, between Conser and Louise. And again, Acho, who seems to absolutely adore scoring against Aston Villa, we're one of the only teams he ever seems to, to score against because he scored a few against us for Man City as well. He's punished us with a, with a good finish, Neil, and we, with no chance. But what did you make of that little passage of play? Yeah, it's disappointing, isn't it? I mean, I feel like we're, we're going really negative here. I feel like we're picking out all the. Yeah, you know, I don't mean to. I know, no. I know, I know. It's just you know, we let, let's let's get it let's get it straight to start with. It was a good result, one one at at Leicester. Villa have started the year quite well. They won at Burnley, so you know they're on the up. I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, you you are right to highlight some of these individual mistakes. If if you look at the passing statistics between the Canberra and, and Louise last night, I mean, it wasn't it's, good. It's it's very frustrating, but at the same time, if you think, well, Danny Drinkwater might be coming in to replace one of those two, John McGinn, when he's fit, might replace the other, then probably these are two players that might not be first-team regulars in times ahead. Let's hope that it's just their first year in the Premier League. They're still yeah, getting used to things. Um, they're going to develop into better players, but at this crucial time, they need these two to be putting in just a little bit more. I mean, it's basic errors. Yeah. Like, Konza would have known that... You've got to blame Conzo a little bit for, oh, yeah, for, yeah, for the pass. Yeah. But then also Louise should have been much more alert to it and just not bundled off the ball so easy by Chowdhury. Um It's not the first time he's been bundled But it's not either. the first time, exactly, yeah. you know, He's, he's a player who's he's still only 21 years old. Um, he's developing, um, he's learning, but he's got to learn quick because too many more of these mistakes and it's going to cost Villa badly. Yeah, what worries me a little bit 
with Louise is I've got, I mean I've come in for a bit of stick on social media for, for criticising Louise but to put it into context I'm not for one minute saying he isn't a fantastic footballer his, his technique is absolutely spot on but it's his awareness and his defensive side of his game and he is only 21 in, mm. in his defence it, it's that that concerns me my other concern is I feel like Villa are developing in him and he's making mistakes playing for Villa and obviously he's been involved in, in a bad goal for us last night when he starts to do well and he, and he gets it right Man City are going to have him back <laughs> and I just feel like we're not getting the best side of that deal if, if you know what I mean I, I don't want a player to learn and make mistakes at Villa just to go to Man City yeah, I, I get your point in that respect. So I suppose is it any different to getting a loan player? No, it's, it's, yeah, I suppose you look at Twan Zabi last season. Although he didn't really make, make mistakes, I think that's the thing. You look at Tammy and Twan Zabi last season, and mm. you've kind of got not the finished article, but someone who's ready for that level. I don't think Douglas Louise is a hundred percent ready for, for this level yet. I, I'm not sure Nakamba is either. To, to be fair to Louise, I think putting them both in there together is not something I, I'd do. To, to be perfectly honest, because they both gave the ball away. You've alluded to the numbers last night. They're pretty yeah. bad. They both gave the ball away so much and they just put us under undue pressure at times. Yeah, it's a difficult one. I, I, I think Dean Smith would probably know now that the two of them together doesn't necessarily work. Maybe. It's happened more times than I think it should have done. Yeah, maybe. I mean, Danny Drinkwater's going to come in, isn't yeah. he? He's going he's to replace one of them. You know, and then... There's a likelihood of of Horihan um, is another option to replace the two to replace one of the two as well. Um, I just think it's something they're going to work on. Uh, he would have known that Dean Smith would have will, will critically look through the game and know that they've made too many mistakes. He'll either try to rectify that by um, making them better in training. It's his job at the end of the day to improve these players, um, or he'll change the personnel. Yeah, you got the feeling in the post match interview with, with Mings and Neyland. I don't know whether you saw it. You, you could say that they were pleased with the result, but ultimately, like us, they were just frustrated with that goal. They yeah. talked about not keeping a clean sheet a couple of times. And when you've had such a good game as, as those two did and someone else makes a mistake in the, in the middle of the park, it, it must be a difficult one to swallow. But at that point, 1-1, I'm starting to think, oh, this is the Tottenham game all over again. We've been leading for most of it and we're going, we're going to end up losing 2-1, 3-1. But to be fair to Villa, they've regrouped and they held on. Yeah, that, that's a positive sign. It shows that they've learnt from their mistakes uh, and they've still dropped more points than, than than any other team from winning positions in the league. So um, that's something they would needed to have worked on. I think they I think they rectified it last night. I think they showed a bit more resilience, a bit more grit, determination. Yeah. Um, and you know th- th- they're halfway through this tie now, but the, I, I firmly believe they've got the advantage playing at home. Yeah, I mean I think the bookies will probably disagree with you, and I imagine Leicester. <laughs> are still the favourites but we've put ourselves in a good position and I think before last night that's all you could have asked for exactly Greg you've talked about being all over the place this week I can only presume you forgot to pack a certain amount of clothes because you're very very casual tonight <laughs> look like you uh, you need some help which, which leads us nicely into our, our new our new sponsor Stitch, Stitch Fix do you know much about them? I don't but I'd like to learn more if they've got a personal um, clothing guider then uh, somebody who can help fix me up a bit I'll be, I'll be all up for that yeah, I went. I had a little gander on the on the website last night, and basically, you do like um, it's, I don't want to call it a style quiz, but that's essentially what it is. You just fill in your, your inform, information. I mean, to be, I to think be honest, you struggled with that. I, I fell down on inside leg. Didn't didn't know my <laughs> didn't know my inside leg measurement off by heart. To be fair, but you basically you, you fill in your information, talk about what kind of clothes you usually buy, whether they whether they fit or not what kind of fit like for example I'm usually a medium but sometimes they can come up quite quite small because I'm tall so you fill in answer questions like that very very personalized service you basically just get re- recommended clothes off the back of what you fill in and and they send you a box of clothes over you you pick what you pick what you want 
and, and you send back what you don't and i believe as well that the, the stuff you don't want you then get it replaced with stuff that you might like fill in more questions change your preferences and it's a really good setup actually i hadn't heard of it i must admit but i, I went on it last night and, and really really enjoyed it definitely going to get some some gear from them yeah, that sounds interesting. Actually, something that would fit into my hectic lifestyle as well. There, I'm, 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 I'm all up for, uh, I'm all up for getting some free clothes sent to me as well. So, if there's any more of that, yeah, I mean, basically, all you got to do to get started with Stitch Fix and support our podcast is go to stitchfix.co.uk/athletic. You can do that now. That's s-t-i-t-c-h-f-i-x.co.uk forward slash athletic. Sign yourself up. Bob's your uncle, off you go, see, see what you like. You sort of talk about your job as well. So, again, they tailor stuff towards to do with your, your career and what you might be wearing day to day. So, so it's really good. And hopefully next time we do a podcast, Greg, you'll be dressed a bit more suitable. <laughs> we shall see. Danny Drinkwater won the championship with Leicester, won, won the Premier League, has played Champions League football, been at Chelsea and Burnley, not gone too well. But what have you, what do you make of that signing? I, I, I'd like to judge him um, in a month's time, just because I think he hasn't played too many games, no. um, and it's got, it probably it probably will take him a couple of weeks or a couple of games to get fully up to speed. I spoke to people who know him well uh, and said that he's you know raring to go. Uh, he's been fit for seven or eight weeks now and just waiting for that opportunity. Ironically, he was going to come on in the Villa game. Um, uh, yeah, the I remember. One, two, one, but then Chris Wood got the Chris Wood got a consolation goal and Sean Dice changed his thinking. So it would have been nice to have seen him in action. There. Yeah, you know, for, uh, up close and personal, but I think it's a good sign. In Villa, obviously needed a midfielder to replace John McGinn. Um, you know, who's out for the next three months to get somebody who's got that experience of been playing in the Premier League for quite a while now. He's obviously won the league with Leicester. Um, hasn't quite worked out for him at Chelsea, has it? But no. he, he, he would have gained probably some you know valuable experience and 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 um, been coached by some you know excellent coaches. So you know, let, let's not write that off too much. Um, the, the the key for me is that he's really fired up and wants to play, wants to do well. Yeah, um, it's like it it's, it's, probably would have been questioned on his attitude. Actually, that's one that exactly. You, yeah, you sometimes as a football fan, you think, oh well, he's not played for two years, quite happy picking up his paycheck. But it's yeah. not always like that. No, no, it's not. And um, a colleague of mine, Laurie Whitwell, spoke to Warren Joyce, the old uh, Manchester United reserve team coach, yeah. who 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 kept in contact with with Danny Drinkwater during his time at Leicester, and he said that. Um, in Leicester's first season in the Premier League they were going through a really tough spell and it was actually Drinkwater that instigated um, a team meeting and uh, you know tried to deliver some home truths now that rubbed up some people, including Nigel Pearson, the wrong way. You know, they're kind of thinking, well, what, you know, what, what's a, a player sort of doing? I like stuff like that personally. But, but it's a player who really cares about his club, about his future, and, and how the you know that the way that club was was moving. And if you look at Leicester's results from that, they they went on a brilliant end of season. Um, uh, run of run of wins and then won the title yeah. next season. Now I'm not saying he's going to come into Aston Villa and change well, it that dramatically. We'd love to see it, but yeah, of course we would. Yeah, but he's got something about him. He's going to fit in well to the dressing room. Dean Smith met him um, and was instantly um, taken back by by his qualities, uh, by his leadership qualities, by his attitude. So all that's left now, we've we've we've, we've built him up very. We built him up a lot. All that's left now is for him to go and do it on the pitch. It's important to say he's not. You're saying about him replacing McGinn. Obviously, they're different kinds of players that they're like for like. Not sorry, not like for like. But we've talked about Villa's ball retention last night. He's someone that's going to help with that because that that's his game. Sitting deep, picking passes, looking looking after the ball, and 
you look at recent games, that is what we've missed in there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Villa have still got creative players that will be playing ahead of him. It will be his job to win the ball or collect the ball and pass it on to those people that yeah. can do more. At the moment, Villa aren't really doing that. Louise and Nakamba are, are struggling to, you know, for basic passes. <laughs> and they just need somebody to have that cool, calm head in the middle of the park. And I think he'll do that. Yeah, the sign has grown on me. I must admit, when we first linked with him, I thought, a bit of a lazy link that I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. People are just putting two and two together and coming, coming up with five. But actually, as as it's gone, did, did it move quite quickly? Because it feels like we were linked with him originally, then it went quiet, and then suddenly, just in the space of a morning, I mean, realistically, it would have been going on for longer than that, but suddenly the papers have picked up that he's, that he's coming to Villa, and then it's happened a few hours later. No, it, it was it was a deal that took quite a long time to okay. to, to to complete. I, I wrote about it in depth in, in the Athletic, which you can read. Um, but to cut a long story short, Villa's Villa's recruitment team were negotiating with Chelsea's um, the powers that be at Chelsea, and they were driving a very hard bargain. Chelsea they wanted Villa to cover the entire 110,000 a week wages. I mean, I would make him the highest paid player at the club. Exactly, which is one of the reasons why Villa didn't want to do that. Yeah. So Christian Perslow and um, uh, and Suso we were in locked in negotiations for a long time. They agreed to eventually pay half of his wages uh, and the deal was done. So Drinkwater's loan move expired um, but, um, at Burnley on January the 6th and by January the 7th he was at Bodymore Heath signing the deal so it, it just shows how um, desperate he was to get that to get that move done he actively asked Burnley to leave because he, he'd heard of Villa's interest Yeah so one of the things I, I, that I remember drinking water for when, it, when he was at Leicester he was the one that was raking the through balls through to, to Jamie Vardy and obviously at Villa he's not going to have a Jamie Vardy but Greg it's probably the moment you dread. I, I interrogate you enough in, in general life now, but I'm coming at you on the podcast as well. What's going on with us signing a striker? Well, or two strikers? They're still desperate to get one in. The, the, the messages that I'm getting is that they will have a striker in on board before the kickoff against Manchester City. When does that have to be done, Bob? Um, I think for him, for, well, for him to play, I yeah, think yeah. They, they st- they're still trying to get just a signing in before that game. Whether he'll be eligible or not, I don't know at this stage. But I think to play, on a, if it was a Saturday game, I think you've got to get it done before noon on, on Friday. the Friday. Whether that goes forward 28 hours for the Sunday game, I don't know. But um, yeah, I, I'll have to check that out and try and uh, update as the um, as the hours go by. But... Villa have been working on so many deals. They've been trying to get so all all kinds of different strikers in. They, they were, the initial target was Olivier Giroud. That's stalled at the moment. Uh, yeah. Glenn, Glenn Murray was a, a striker that they have had um, that they've initially tried to get hold of um, and had talks with with his representatives. Uh, Jay Rodriguez is a player that they're also interested in. Yeah, you broke that yesterday. Yes, um, and there are also there are also other strikers in Europe as well that they're looking at. Some of the names I don't know at the moment. Villa try try to keep all their business as private as possible. Yeah. Um, but the key is they they're trying to get a striker in before the Manchester City game, and then they will try and get another in too. So I think by the end of the window we will see two new strikers at Villa. Yeah, I think that's that that's what we need. I mean, the link to Glenn Murray would have took a few people by surprise. It's obviously not the most exciting signing in the world, but I'll actually say when we were linked with him. As a second striker and someone who I don't think we'd go in for if it wasn't for, for Wes's un- unfortunate injury, I'd be quite happy with Glenn Murray. He knows where the goal is, he's no frills, he works hard, hold, holds the ball up, experienced head, which is something Villa don't have have much of. My worry would be, oh, well, Brighton are in the relegation mix with us, they're not going to want to lose him to us either. Well, this is the situation Villa are faced with, you know, they're, they're after players that are playing for teams 
that are also in the mix, you know, Burnley, yeah. Rodriguez, um, uh, Brighton, Murray, if if they go back in for Christian Benteke, Crystal Palace aren't too far away from them in the table either. So that's always going to be difficult as well. The way I would think is that the only way they can get those type of players is if they offer you know, a little bit more than maybe the club would be willing to sell them for. Yeah. And they will only be moving on permanent deals. Villa are desperate to get loan deals in. That's what their plan was. You know, The, the initial plan was to get players on loan, potentially with a view to buying them in the summer. But... If, to get for a, a player like Murray, for example, or Rodriguez, they're going to have to buy them because why would Brighton or Burnley lend a player for the, yeah, for the second sense, half? It, it just doesn't make any sense. They wouldn't do it, um, you know, especially with you know they'd leave them light as well themselves. So it's the domino effect sometimes as well, isn't it? You're waiting for one team to just make a move. It looked like Tosin might go to Crystal Palace, and you feel if that if that move happens, Everton aren't going to be in, the, in a relegation scrap. I don't think Tosin goes to Palace. Maybe Benteke comes available, and someone gets him or. To be honest, I'd like Villa to get him if I'm be, if I'm being quite frank here. And then there's that domino effect effect that happens. You're kind of waiting for that, but that doesn't tend to happen till nearer the end of the window. And we need we need a striker now. Yeah, I mean the, the injury to Wesley has obviously uh, accelerated Villa's thoughts. They they want to get a, they want to get a striker in quickly, but the initial thoughts before that was that they were going to act later in the window. And, and as you say, that's that's usually when players become available and. Um, you know, there, will, there will be lots of players that we that will be wanting to move this, this yeah. window. I mean, you look at the two Chelsea lads, Michi Bashwai and uh, Olivier Giroud. They know that the Euros are coming up and they need to be playing football, but yeah. they'll be waiting for the right move over, uh, and, and they're prepared to sit back for just those extra couple of weeks to make sure they get the right move. Um, Villa Villa might be in a position where they don't get the, first, the, the their top choice, but it's 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 almost desperation at the moment, isn't it? Because to be chasing two strikers in January, which is a notorious month to um, to trade in anywhere. Yeah, it's difficult. It's just so so hard. And Dean Smith has, has said, you know, time and time again that he wants players with Premier League experience. So that narrows the field even more. Um, he's pleased just... to hear that though, because again, I think that's completely what what we were missing up there. Someone you you can rely on in the, in the games when you need a bit of know how. That that's what we are missing up top. Because the frustrating thing with someone like Jay Rodriguez is. And Villa fans will say this. Well, we could have got him in the summer for five million, and then another five million to come. So why didn't we do it then? Yeah, well, what you got to remember is, we'll go back to that word again: desperation. I mean, it, it, Villa have had to change their tact in, in in the last couple of weeks because of the injuries. Um, the plan over the summer was to sign players who were under the age of twenty six, with the with the that were going to get better, uh, with with the potential to increase in value, but they've still got those players on board. But they it's clear to see that they just need that bit of experience you know and 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 Dean Smith is is and the club are prepared to change their stance just for these final few months of the season um and I don't think there's anything wrong with that they've still got the players on board that they've signed yeah the majority of them are progressing nicely and and will probably already be, be worth more than they were when they come to villa um so what's wrong with taking a couple of short term deals but potentially on loan um who are a little bit older in experience at the end of the day they've lost that they, they, they they signed Tom Heaton as the leader, the experienced leader who was over the age of 30, yeah. 33, 34 years old, isn't it? He's not in the team anymore, so they still need somebody in there. Yeah, it's, like you say, I don't, don't like using the word desperation. It, obviously, you don't want your team to be in that situation, but it's fair, forced, it, it so, is where you know, we the are. Injuries, look, you look at it, Villa's plan before the injuries to McGinn, Wesley and Tom Heaton, three of their best players. Yeah. Um, Villa, were, Villa were initially trying to get two loan deals in the summer, uh, sorry, in the um, in the winter. So 
it's needs must unfortunately they've they've been dealt a very a very very bad hand and um they're just trying to react to it now I, mean, I know every football fan thinks that their team is the most unluckiest team in the world but <laughs> i do feel like that with villa quite a lot of the time i think it's important to say as well you've obviously wrote a big piece about villa targeting jay rodriguez and then doesn't mean it's going to happen and then you get the people on social media saying oh well you said he was going to sign that's not the case you're, no, you're, you're reporting genuine links but that doesn't guarantee that it's going to happen of course it doesn't no I mean looking you know, I can't facilitate the deal all I can write is that Aston Villa are interested in him and that is a fact they are interested in him the other fact is that Burnley don't want to sell him so potentially as the win, as the uh, days develop in the window it might be a case that Jay Rodriguez thinks well am I playing enough at Burnley do I want that and move and he's died five games hasn't he exactly yeah and um, you know so if he fancies that move then there's then there's a potential for it to happen but the facts are there Phil are interested in him he's one of many targets they're looking at um, so yeah don't shoot the messenger <laughs> Touch briefly on, on the Man City game, we're running out of time a little bit. Big, big ask on Sunday, but a lot of teams have beat Man City this season. They're, they're not quite the proposition they were last season. You kind of feel if Villa had everyone available, they'd, they'd obviously have more chance. But if they can get at Man City's defence, there's a chance they can take something on Sunday, especially off the back of a Leicester game where you, you wouldn't necessarily back Villa to take anything. Yeah, definitely. I, 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 I don't mean to sound negative, but I do think Man City will have enough to to see out that game against Villa. Uh, watched them in the week against Man United and they ripped them apart for the first uh, first 45 minutes. They're frightening um, when they're on song. Know, Tyro Mings is no Phil Jones, so uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, we, won't, we won't go there. But uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's going to be a tough ask, isn't it? It's their forward players and, 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 and the guys just behind Kevin De Bruyne oh, and yeah. etc. that are just, they've got so much quality. I think that they'll just have enough. Um, I'd like to see Villa give it a go and uh, but then at the same time if they haven't got a striker in you know it's it's going to be equally as hard as well. Yeah, if they don't get that striker in it's going to be very difficult to see anything other than the type of football that that we saw on yeah. Wednesday night against Leicester. I think Dean Smith's hands are tied. I don't think he particularly enjoys playing that way because you know he's a, he's a free-flowing manager. He likes his team to play football the right way, but when you've got the situation Villa, Villa have at the moment, you can't go and just try and have a go at Man City because you, you'll get picked off on the counter-attack. Exactly, it's just it's it's too much to ask to 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 actually take the game to Man City. I just I, I just hope Villa have enough uh, in them to, to to give them a game. But yeah, yeah it's going to be a tough ask. And we're going to finish as always with with the regular segment, the Villa Vault. Villa playing in a League Cup semi final last night, so it's only right that we look back on a semi-final from yesteryear and it's when Mark Bosnich broke the hearts of Tranmere Rovers. Do you remember it, Greg? I do, I remember it well. When I was very young, I've looked back at, um, through the game for various stories that I've written over the years, but yeah. I don't actually remember the game at the time, but I yeah, an epic one, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, Mark Bosnich actually could have been sent off. He brought down John Aldridge after 27 minutes and probably should have been given a red card if I take my Villa hat off for a second, but he stayed on. The game ends up going to penalties. He saved three of them and he's the hero. And you can, I can picture it perfectly now. I can picture that goalkeeper's top. I've got that shirt, one of my favourite shirts of all time. And Villa obviously go on to the final and they beat Manchester United 3-1 on the 27th of March 1994. And you might wonder how I remember that date, Greg. I'll tell you a little story as to why I remember. <laughs> go on. Basically, my dad, who I've been going to the Villa with since I was seven years old, had season tickets together, still go with him now, so we've been going a long, long time together. But around that time was when I just started going to the Villa. 
we didn't have a season ticket in that in that uh, 93 94 season it was a season after we we got one for the first time so we didn't go to the semi final second leg because my dad decided we lost 3-1 oh then they're not going to come back from that <laughs> game over so we didn't go to the semi final we watched it on telly together and obviously you you chuffed that they win, but there's obviously that that bit inside you. Oh, I wish I was there. Probably more so for him because I, I was too young to properly understand. But then he starts explaining to me we were in this cup final. We're playing Manchester United, going to Wembley. I'd, I'd never been to Wembley before, and I'm thinking, great. When is it? 27th of March, my mum's birthday. <laughs> so, mom, so there's me thinking, oh, well, what, what are we going to do here? I'll tell you what happened. My dad went to Wembley, but I wasn't allowed to go because it was my mum's birthday. No way. So what did you have to do? I watched it at home with on, on telly with my family. My mum hates football. <laughs> she got no interest in football whatsoever. So my dad swans off to Wembley for the day and I miss out on one of the only times Villa have won a trophy he, in my life. He owes you a few beers, I think, mate. Absolutely unbelievable, isn't it? Can you believe that? I can't believe you, that. You I, can't, I would not let my dad because it's to your mum's birthday. But I mean, I was only about seven at the time, so there wasn't really much I could do about it. But just, <laughs> I've never forgiven him for that, and he, and he knows. I've I've mentioned it loads of times on, on other things I've done. But it's just a that's what I think of when I think of that Coca Cola Cup. Are you, you going to get him back if Villa get to the final this year? Then well, he's playing a dangerous game, isn't he? Because there'll be some point <laughs> where, as he's getting older, where he's going to going to need me, and I, and I can look back at that and I might not help him out. Don't forget as well, we did actually do a transfer podcast, a transfer special that came out on Christmas Day. If you've missed that one, go back and give it a listen. The landscape's definitely, definitely changed since then. But there's some good tidbits in there from the transfer man, Greg Evans. Thanks ever so much for listening to the podcast. Up the Villa.